0: This podcast contains mature themes and explicit language. Movie lovers is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised.
1: They're oh, like cool. they're like. Let's put all our time, effort, and money into making realistic-looking buttholes <laughs> in, the, in bog the bog of eternal sense. Yeah, like there was like buttholes coming out of the water and farting. <laughs> but but let's cut corners on the owl. is up jacobson
0: what up my love
1: you remind me of a babe what babe babe with the power what power power of the voodoo
0: voodoo
1: you do do what remind me of the babe i
0: saw my baby crying hard as babe could cry what could i do okay that's enough okay so, welcome to this little mini on the 1986 Jim Henson classic, Labyrinth. Jim yes. Henson and uh, Lucas Films, whatever, produ- or, yeah, produced, I think. Yeah, that's in the credits. Hi.
1: Hi. You're so pretty.
0: Hey, thanks.
1: Hey, everyone out there in movie land. Thanks for joining us for our mini episode on Labyrinth.
0: Yes, we do these itty bitty baby episodes every once in a while. Uh, A, maybe because we're short on time. B, to have a little bit of filler content, maybe when our schedule gets a little busy. Or see in this case, when our local movie theater, the Woodbury 10 in Woodbury, Minnesota, is doing a summer kids movie series, and they screen Labyrinth, and I was not going to miss the chance to see this bitch on the big screen. Hell yeah, (sighs) Borther. Shout out to Miss Zoe Federoff of Cradle of Filth. And
1: and Catalyst Catalyst Crime. Crime. (laughs) She's still in my band, too, you goof.
0: Whatever. So... Let's talk Labyrinth. Yeah. Do we, do we want to first say, before we jump into categories, like, do you remember the first time you saw this?
1: Yeah. Um, I talked my dad into renting it for me from the video store that was in Randolph, Vermont, and I remember being very frightened of it. There was a <laughs> lot of, like, scary shit.
0: Uh, yeah, those fucking orange weirdos that can take their heads off are fucking creepy.
1: I don't even know if, like... Uh, This is a kid's movie? I mean, it's supposed to be. It was back then, but now I'm like, uh, I don't know.
0: It's more of a coming-of-age movie, I would say.
1: Yeah, with lots of coming.
0: (laughs) How old were you?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Came
0: out in 86, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't see it in the movie theater, so I probably saw it in, like, 87 or 88, maybe. Okay. on, On VHS tape.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this movie, along with The Dark Crystal which was the predecessor and the first time that Jim Henson and Brian Froud, the creature creator that they worked together. Um, both of those movies critically kind of flopped. and especially The Dark Crystal because it came out around the same time as ET and very much got overshadowed. But they both found their audience once they were released on VHS because, the uh, cult classic instantly, I think, is the deal.
1: So Yeah. I'm trying to find the I know that this movie really bombed pretty bad, like considering the budget for it and then how much it made. Right. It was it cost an estimated twenty five million dollars to make and then it only grossed uh worldwide um a a shade under fourteen million, so he <laughs> oops we but like it's still this timeless classic you know and
0: all well, right yeah so it labyrinth just celebrated its 35th anniversary in last year right, right yeah so and it's it's just such a cult classic
1: yeah oh for sure you know people so- are obsessed with it and by people i mean like white chicks that are millennials
0: like myself, yeah. and part of my fairy tale and fantasy tattoo sleeve on my left arm, I have a little orb. With sparklies on it that says Babe with the Power on it. Correct. So um, I don't remember the first time that I saw this movie. This movie, along with all of the other wonderful 80s fantasy children's movies, uh, were all introduced to me by my mother. I was born in 89, so I missed the boat on a lot of them. And if you are an avid listener of our podcast, This is not new information. But, uh, yeah, she definitely introduced me to all these movies. This and Legend and uh, Neverending Story. They're all part of my heart.
1: Yeah. There was, like, yeah, that whole run of those 80s fantasy movies. I don't know if any of them really even did well in the 80s. Probably not. But, like, in my mind, yeah, I lumped this in with... um, dark crystal and willow and uh labyrinth this is labyrinth and uh well, legend, legend. Never ending
0: story <laughs>
1: yeah all those kinds of movies yes maybe even um like beastmaster and Krull.
0: oh yeah yeah anything with like um creaturey monstery puppetry goblins anything yeah yeah monsters all that sweet kind of stuff yeah so my age old story with Labyrinth is that I've rented it so many times from our local video store called VidCon that they eventually just gave it to me. So I wish I still had that DVD or DVD. Oh, I wish I still had that VHS. I bet the case was just tattered to shreds.
1: It's actually pronounced VHS. <laughs> I don't even know what VHS stands for. Video. Um. System.
0: Home system. That seems a little ass backwards. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, Okay. Well, so for a mini-sode, we handpick a few categories and keep this, you know, usually around half an hour, in and out, quick, whatever. So why don't we jump into Mallory Explains Movies?
1: Mallory Explains Movies. I'm cutting that out. No, you're not.
0: Mind explains In 30 seconds or less? Yeah, right. Labyrinth. Uh, watching it as an adult, you're sort of like, "What the fuck? What the what the fuck?" But uh the story is about a young girl named Sarah, and she's supposed to be 15. And- 16. 16. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And Jennifer Connolly was 16. Yeah. Also. Born in
0: 1970. Right. I looked that up. Yeah. So. so she was probably filming it while she was 15. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the story is, so Sarah is in that uh, time in her life when she's still playing make-believe and has all of her stuffed animals and her toys and whatever and she has to babysit her little brother she's pissed off about it and she you know just kind of goes off into fantasy land and wishes that the goblin king would come and take this child away from her because he's annoying the ever-loving piss out of her and took her teddy bear or something even though he's
1: Sarah was a terrible human being, at least in the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, she's kind of a bitchy teenager. And lo and behold, the Goblin King does take her baby brother and challenges her then to complete the labyrinth to get to the castle at the center to rescue her baby brother. And she has 13 hours in which to do it. The whole story takes place in her own mind turns out. If you're just going verbatim off of what happens in the movie, you might be like, what the fuck? But uh, if you read up on it or read the book adaptation, which I have over there on my shelf, you will find that this whole thing pretty much takes place in her head. I have some really cool, interesting info to talk about later in Controversial Take so I'm not going to get into it right now, actually, but there is some interesting, if you haven't read the book, they don't touch on this in the movie, but there are little Easter eggs in the movie as to who inspired this character of Jareth, the Goblin King played by Bowie and, and yeah, a few other goodies. So yes, indeed. Yes. Do you want to do alternate porn title next? Sure. Yeah. Oh, it's time for a oh, whole alternate porn oh, title Oh god, yeah Okay, so when we got home and got out of the car I'm pretty sure that we probably have either the same thing or something very similar Do you want me to go first? I think
1: we should try to say it at the same time Okay So I'll do like a one, two, two three, three, and then say it, it. Okay So that way, because I'm, I'm pretty sure we have the same one, but you never know, ready? Yeah One, two, three. Labia Labia rinth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Jacobson. I knew it. I knew it. It's just too good. (laughs) Oh, I just smushed your glasses. That's
1: okay. We're allowed to have the same one.
0: (laughs) This is the first time this has ever happened. Yeah. Labia rinth.
1: I'd really have to think about it. I want one that was different.
0: It's hard with one word movie titles. Like, we got lucky with Gattaca. Mm Mm-hmm. 'Cause you There's had, enough
1: syllables in it.
0: Right. You came up with get a cunt right. and I came up with Twatica, which we deemed the winner right. because
1: Twatica was great.
0: I am the winner.
1: That one time. That
0: one fucking time. <laughs> okay, all right. So that's that's <laughs> yeah. Alabia, I, it's so funny. I love you. <laughs> I wish I were a talented enough uh graphic designer. Which I am not. Maybe if I could, like, have, like, um, Procreate as a tool or as, like, a program where you can... It's, like, what Gabby uses to do her tattoo sketches. Like, you have, like, a little pen. Maybe if I had one of those, I could, like, redo the movie posters <laughs> with our titles. Mm-hmm. Like, change it from saying <laughs> Labyrinth to Labiarin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh. We'd probably get our shit taken down in about five seconds okay let's talk about some movie magic, movie magic. you can't talk about labyrinth without going into some of the fun facts and tidbits you if you've listened to any of our podcasts you know how much of a freak i am for puppetry and live effects so i went a little a little crazy with some facts
1: um i never contribute to movie magic but there is one thing that i learned that i really want to talk about
0: Ooh, do it do it
1: so the owl in the title sequence is actually, is computer generated obviously and it was the first attempt at a photorealistic CGI animal character in a feature film. And I had to say that when I saw it, I was like really I was really impressed by it. Like it wasn't bad at all and this movie was made, came out in 86. Yeah. So I was like, wow, that was a good first attempt.
0: Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I saw that the tidbit when I was looking at the IMDb trivia and like yeah, the opening credit sequence like, yeah, it's CGI, but it doesn't look like the first time. I will say the owl looks like shit later on in the movie, like when she defeats Bowie or whatever the fuck happens in that last scene. I mm-hmm. still don't really understand. Uh, but, um, you know, when he like turns into the owl, like right. looks really shitty and stupid there. I will say that. But that opening credit sequence is... They're oh, like, cool. they're like, let's put all our
1: time, effort and money into making realistic looking buttholes
0: <laughs> in, the, in the bog of
1: eternal sense. Yeah. Like there was like buttholes coming out of the water and farting. But <laughs> but let's cut corners on the owl scenes.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited for your Jonah's bullet points. Not going to lie. I have a few. Not a lot. Yeah. because This is a mini sode. Right. 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 Okay, so just a few fact-hoods. So I've I've known this and I've seen some of the footage. You can look it up on YouTube and there's some really awesome special features on like a special DVD anniversary edition. But various things that Jareth does with the crystal balls, looping them around with his hands. It's not actually Bowie doing that. They're done by a choreographer, Michael Motion. Mm -hmm. And he's an accomplished juggler so he would crouch behind bowie with his arms like replacing bowie's arms basically it's it's really kind of comical to like see him crouching behind and his arms are like you know out in front of bowie but and you could tell by the way that they framed those shots like when they first meet. Yeah, it's 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 framed perfectly, so you can't tell. I noticed
1: that. Yeah. So what about Jareth's actual balls? Because he it looked like he might have had a professional testicle handler for that, <laughs> since they were constantly flopping around.
0: Were they really flopping? There was he a just lot had of flopping. A big cup. I feel like.
1: I don't know. It was like his package. Right. It was his cock and balls. His well, meat and veggies. I
0: do. I do have a note later about the the tights. The tights pants. It was meat and two veg. Yeah. (laughs) So the cool thing, though, about this juggler is, like, he's basically performing all of that blind because his face is, like, buried in Bowie's back. And he's having to reach around and do all this shit without even looking, which Mm. is super cool.
1: But, I mean, if that's your job, you know.
0: Right. I mean, that specifically is probably not his job. He probably has his eyes if he's juggling.
1: Uh, maybe he's got glass eyes and he pops them out before he juggles.
0: Like those fucking weird orange guys. But
1: all I'm saying, like, if are. that's that's what he does professionally, like, if I was a professional green bean eater,
0: then you would expect <laughs> me to be really good at eating
1: green beans. You know what I mean?
0: Just shut up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just saying Just shut
0: the fuck up.
1: Like if you're a firefighter and you suck at fighting fires, then maybe Yeah, you don't but find a maybe profession.
0: maybe you might not might it might be like a miraculous feat if you're able to fight a fire without your eyes.
1: I think our cats are professional stinky shitters in the litter box because that one Oh that one's hot and fresh.
0: I love having a litter box in my office, not here we got a live one. <laughs> so while we marinate and cat shit smells, um So the dance magic dance scene consisted of over 48 Muppets, 52 puppeteers, and eight people in goblin costumes, as revealed by Brian Henson in the Inside the Labyrinth special. That's a lot of motherfucking puppets. Over 100 pairs of latex hands were made for the helping hands scene. That scene always creeped me out as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah she said down, she said down, like, (laughs) some of them have really creepy (laughs) mouths. I didn't like the one where it was like, here, give me your hands, but mirror mine. Okay. Like, on top of mine. Okay. Flip it over. Okay. Where, like, this was the mouth. Yeah. That that was creepy as shit.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, Michael Jackson Prince and Mick Jagger were considered to play the Goblin King. Jim Henson preferred Sting until his kids convinced him that Bowie, who had just reached the peak of his mainstream popularity with the Let's Dance album, would be better suited for it. Bowie wanted to make a children's movie, liked the concept, and found the script funnier and more amusing than many other contemporary special effects movies. I cannot imagine this movie with anyone but Bowie. Yeah um, I'm really glad it wasn't Michael either Because now it would be like
1: yeah. Tainted This movie's already like kind of pedophile enough as it is Right um, Mick Jagger actually I think would have been cool Mick Jagger uh, He's been in a few movies Before and yeah. I thought he was good
0: I feel like that Sting Could have had an interesting persona with it Because he kind of has that like Quiet and mysterious thing Going on a little bit
1: He'd be like, yeah, when he sang the song, he'd be like,
0: and you reminded
1: me of a babe. Good job. Really? Yeah. That was my first attempt at that.
0: And you walk in fields of gold. Yeah, that was Mm -hmm. your really channeling.
1: I tried. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Thank you.
0: Uh, the Hoggle, the Hoggle, Hoggle consisted of Sherry Weiser inside of a suit and four puppeteers led by Brian Henson controlling 18 monitors inside the face rig. Manipulating a mechanical mitt on his right hand, Henson controlled Hoggle's jaw movements and provided the voice. Another puppeteer provided further lip movements with another mitt. The third puppeteer used a finger joystick lever to control Hoggle's eyes and eyelids. The fourth used a similar mechanism to animate the eyebrows and a foot pedal to control the skin around Hoggle's eyes. The puppeteers had to rehearse together for weeks to anticipate each other's movements. That is so fucking complicated.
1: Yeah. You know, Hoggle actually reminds me. uh, Oh, first of all, like, we didn't have this category, but Hoggle is who I wouldn't bone.
0: Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to bone that warty well, You know Hoggle kinda
1: reminds me of? Who? Remember that one singer I used to like make tracks for and recorded as vocals and
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. Like a face, Enough. Fa- Enough. face for radio. Face
0: for radio. Not sad. Yep. Yep. Um, and then a quick note about the Ludo costume. So um When he learned that the Ludo rig weighed over 100 pounds, Jim Henson told the Creature Shop to start over again and make it lighter. It was brought down to just over 75 pounds, still too heavy for one person to operate all the time. Puppeteers Ron Muick and Rob Mills split the performance. That's so fucking big. There is a really interesting, if you Google, um, like, Labyrinth Interview or ludo labyrinth interview like uh jennifer connelly goes on like a talk show to be interviewed and like ludo comes out and like is part of the interview oh, it's that's really awesome. cool <laughs> <laughs> ludo sarah friend oh speaking of sarah friend shout out in the middle of this motherfucker so if you're a fan of the podcast and you've listened to our episode on the crow our good friend sarah is my fellow labyrinth freak of a friend? Uh, we've bought each other labyrinth-themed gifts. I have a framed labyrinth piece of artwork that she made for me. Like it, she's the best. Um, her son Josiah is. Sorry, Sarah, I don't remember how old he is.
1: Three or four or something. Yeah,
0: something mm. like that. Um, she took him yesterday to go see Labyrinth at the Woodbury 10, and it was his first movie-going experience, and it's her favorite movie of all time. I just think that's really special. So high five and big hugs to you, Sarah. That That's really cool. I hope he liked it. I heard that he did on Facebook.
1: Yes, and he can have nightmares from it, just like I did when I was his age. Mm.
0: Sarah said that he got up and danced during the Dance Magic dance. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. So speaking of babies, um, so artist Brian Froud uh, is the guy who created the vision for all of these puppets and monsters and creatures. Uh so uh, they worked together in 1982 on The Dark Crystal first and that led to Labyrinth and the two of them would have continued to a troll-themed future film had
1: feature film feature
0: film thank you had Jim Henson not sadly passed away before their work on a third collaboration could begin so that's kind of sad but uh the baby Toby is played by Brian Froud's son, which is super cool. So, Brian Froud is married to a gal named Wendy, who is also a doll maker or figure maker, and she did the original Yoda, which is super cool. So, he's like the coolest baby of all time, I just have to say. So, there's this article from denofgeek.com. And the interviewer was like, so you mentioned your son Toby playing the baby. A lot of adults who have been in big films as children tend to see them as something of a burden once they've grown up. It's an association they perhaps want to get away from, but that doesn't seem to be at all the case with your son. He's a filmmaker, and on the set of his short film Lessons Learned, he recreated the magic dance scene using his own puppets, to which Brian Froud responded by saying, Oh, from the beginning, he was fascinated by the goblins. He was always coming into the workshop. He knew that these strange things were. He knew what these strange things were. He was not frightened of them. He loved it. Wendy's a doll maker, a figure maker, she did the original Yoda, and so he's been surrounded by creativity and making things, so he loved all that. He's also a great fan of these old-fashioned physical puppets and the qualities that they can bring, so when he made his first film, that's the way he did it, and indeed, he had some of the puppeteers that worked on Labyrinth working on it, which is super cool, and I really want to look up this Lessons Learned short film that he did makes my heart happy. Mm. There are tons more of cool, fun facts in the trivia on IMDb and in a million other articles on the internet, but I wanted to keep this segment somewhat short. So that's all I have brought to the table for movie magic. We are going to do an emotional take, a controversial take, and then Jonah's bullet points. What order would you like to do them in, my love?
1: Well, Jonah's bullet points goes last, so okay. let me uh, let me lead off with our controversial take. Okay. Controversial take, baby. Controversial take. This controversial take is thicker than a steak. Controversial take, baby. Hillary, who a home. of Controversial take, baby. Yeah. There was just a really weird, uh, like kind of daddy and brat dynamic between David Bowie and Jennifer Connolly, which is would not, this movie would not have been made today in, in any way because of the puppets and, you know, all the different reasons or whatever. But that specifically was very obvious to me. Mm-hmm. And like sort of in, in my reading about and being around other people that are in like the kink community and stuff like that, I was like, oh that's what's going on here especially in the <laughs> beginning she's like i don't want i want the baby to disappear me you know and the and david bowie comes in and he's like i will make the baby disappear oh, oh you know and like all that kind of shit so <laughs> i that's, like your bowie
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that it that's it that's <laughs> it so our controversial takes are related then so um there's another really awesome i love den of geek i talk about den of geek .com all the time in this podcast. So shout out to that website being awesome. Uh, they have an article from last year called Labyrinth, the unsettling second character played by David Bowie, which is in reference to a character named Jeremy, which is not mentioned at all in the movies. But if you read the book, and I've only read the first couple chapters of it. So I've I've actually read this whole hannon uh but then was also reminded of it in this article but so for a little bit of backstory with sarah so she lives with her dad and her stepmother you see her stepmother in the movie um to me it's assumed that toby is the stepmother and her dad's baby They don't say anything about her mother. But in the beginning, they, when they're panning to Sarah sitting at her vanity, you see sort of like a scrapbook open and there's a playbill and there's like photos of her mom and her mom with a guy who happens to be David Bowie. And that is this guy, Jeremy. He is her mother's on again, off again boyfriend. Sarah's mother is a theater actress and he's an, you know, an actor that is, frequently her love interest and their their romance has spilled off of the stage and into real life and like they get written about in the tabloids and all sorts of shit so there's this dynamic of sarah sort of having a crush on this actor guy that her mom sort of dates and from there that's sort of where this whole fantasy comes from which i think is really interesting and i never really knew this Growing up, wasn't until I was an adult and read more into this movie that I learned all this shit. Um, I want to read just a little bit of what Louisa Meller, who wrote this article, says. So, She writes, this is supposedly Sarah's fantasy. She's the one in whose imagination all of this is happening. In 2016, the film's conceptual designer, Brian Froud, explained the thinking to Empire. Sarah, says Froud, is approaching the age of sexual awakening, and so has created Jareth as a composite image of the kind of men who turn her on. We're not looking at reality, we're looking inside this girl's head. Jareth's costumes were designed to reference a leather boy, the armor of a German knight, Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights, and a male ballet dancer. He's an amalgam. Amalgam? I, I always say that word weird. Amalgam? Sure. Of the inner fantasies of this girl. Everyone always talks about Bowie's pervy pants, but there was a reason for all that. It has a surface that's fairly light, but then every so often you go, oh my god, how did we get away with that? Telling a children's story about a girl's veiled sexualized fantasies of her mother's boyfriend is getting away with a fair bit. There's more to the film, of course, and ultimately Sarah vanquishes Jareth by rejecting his sinister allure and asserting her own power. Her attraction to him, though, especially in the novelization, is undeniable. What makes this uncomfortable isn't the fact that Labyrinth is in part a story about adolescent female sexual awakening, but that its vision of that awakening was dreamt up by grown men and shows an underage girl drawn to a man of their age. Thought of it that way, and it's less sure that Sarah's is the fantasy that we are watching. It was a different time though, the 1980s. So that's my controversial take. That's something the average millennial who grew up watching this movie maybe doesn't know if they haven't ever read into it or isn't a labyrinth freak and read the book like I have or started reading it. Um, But yeah, I, I like that take on it. You know, being a girl who grew up playing make believe and went into theater eventually, but like I can remember the day on the playground when Casey Stott turned to me and like we were going to play, I wanted to play make-believe at recess and she's like, no Mallory, we don't play make-believe anymore. We're all going to go play kickball. And I was so sad because I was like, when did we stop playing make-believe? So I understand that sort of break, In your adolescence, when it's like, oh, it's time to put away my Barbies, it's time to put away my dolls, and now I'm going to focus on teenage things. I didn't play with my Barbies up until I was like 12, so. Oh. Yeah. So that's my controversial take, is that whole aspect of this story. Sarah's sexual awakening, as written by grown-ass men. (laughs) Hmm. Pervy. Pervy and Bowie's Pervy Bulge. Yep. Do you have an emotional take? Um, I emotionally
1: feel like movies like this are made even more special because of the fact that they just simply these days refuse to put in the effort to make movies like Labyrinth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like they could have they could do all of the good things about Labyrinth and then leave out all the bad things because today they would know that things like having the plot make sense and the story and the dialogue could be better, you know?
0: Right. So right. It's
1: just, you know. But, I mean, that's fine. Like, Labyrinth is this timeless thing. It's this, like, you can watch it and you know it's 80s as F and, yeah, you know...
0: And can i just say it's one of my favorite things in the world that evan rachel wood is also obsessed with labyrinth she's also obsessed with bowie but like she sang as the world falls down dressed up like bowie leaning on a piano with like a little animatronic worm the little hello that worm mm-hmm. uh yeah she like sang that in like an anniversary i think it was an anniversary thing last year for labyrinth fuck that makes me Okay, well, real quick, my emotional take is a a little on the sadder side. So Jim Henson, we can't talk about this movie without touching on Jim Henson. And his story is actually kind of sad. So I pulled this info from an Entertainment Weekly article from like 1997, but he passed away in 1990. So just four years after Labyrinth. The 53-year-old Henson was at the pinnacle of his career when he died on May 16, 1990, of a severe strep infection that destroyed his lungs within days. At the time, PBS's award-winning Sesame Street, which featured such enduring Henson creations as Big Bird and Ernie, uh, was seen in 80 countries. The Muppet Show, which aired in the U.S. from 1976 to 1981, had made the eternal courtship between a uh, diffident Kermit and ardent Miss Piggy world famous in months before his death, Henson had agreed to sell Henson associates to Walt Disney company to the Walt Disney company for an amount rumored to be close to $200 million. Not bad for a man who started out as a puppeteer on a Washington DC kiddie show and who once said puppetry is a good way of hiding. Ironically, such self-effacement may have contributed to his death. The weekend before, Henson seemed to be fighting a cold. To his daughter Cheryl's worried questions, he said, I'm just tired. Then, she later related, he said, Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. Can I do it? Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. I love you. You're welcome. Uh, it was very unlike him, she said. By Monday, he had canceled a recording session. Late that night, he began to cough up blood. By the time he agreed to be taken to New York hospital, his organs were already shutting down. Throughout Tuesday, family and friends kept vigil. The next morning, after two cardiac arrests, Henson's heart finally stopped. Mm-hmm. That's just really sad. And also also kind of freaks me out because I frequently had strep throat when I was a kid and get it every now and then. So like, hi, people. If you think you have strep, if you got white spots on your fucking throat, go to the doctor and get some antibiotics. But yeah. that's Thank just you, really Dr. sad. Mally.
1: Dr. Mally Jean.
0: Right. And tying in with that, um, it made me remember that there is a puppetry museum in Atlanta that I'm always sad we never have time to go to when we go to Prague Power. And uh, they have so many of the Labyrinth puppets there. They have an entire Jim Henson section of that museum. And there's there's a shit ton of Muppets. Mm-hmm. Like Fozzie Bear, and there's and and there's some Sesame Street stuff. Like there's like a a full life size Big Bird in there, whatever. We really need to go there.
1: Let's let's make a point of going there. I promise you, we'll go. Okay. Um, if we if we go to Prague Power next year, yeah. So
0: I know for sure that Sir Didymus lives there. Some of these pieces we're looking at an image right now. Some of these pieces might not be here, be there all the time because I think they they had an actual like. Labyrinth focused exhibit a few mm-hmm. years ago, but mm. so it's just really sad. I actually never knew when or how Jim Henson died, and he's just such an integral part to the movie industry.
1: Yeah, you know? he was not anywhere near done making his art too, and so no. that's really
0: no really sad.
1: I've always told you if if I ever die unexpectedly young, I want you to go into my Dropbox and make sure that you. Release all of the music that's been just sitting in there. I will. That I have not put out. Okay. I will
0: get up all of the people's asses that I need to to get mm-hmm. it mixed and made and out there, and I will not stop until that is done. You're the best. But you're not allowed to die, so
1: I don't. I don't plan on it. All right.
0: <clears throat> okay. The part I'm most excited for, for once, actually, I usually dread this moment, but let's uh, pop on over into Jonah's bullet points.
1: It's the things I want to say, but I don't want to talk about. Okay. So uh, these are not organized as well as they normally are, because I just wrote them on my notepad on my iPhone on the way home from the movie theater. (laughs) So here we go. Uh, This movie seemed like an excuse to have super amazing puppets and set design. They were just like, we want to make all of these cool visual things and all these puppets and do this and that and the other. And then some of the other elements of it were maybe not so well thought through. <laughs> uh, there's definitely a daddy brat dynamic, um, which is, uh, it's too bad that Jennifer Connelly was so young, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't want to make this weird.
0: Well, hey, you were young once and watching it for the first few times when you were young, so you're allowed to yeah. have had a crush when on her.
1: When she was a, like a princess though in the ballroom scene she was so pretty i can mm, say that so yeah um, david bowie had a mega floppy package and honestly when i think of this movie <laughs> that's the first thing i think of it's just like his dick and balls just like <laughs> flopping in your face it might as well have been in 3d um i bet jennifer connelly wishes she could go back in time and wax her unibrow which was nah. didn't make her any less cute but um yeah, it's definitely noticeable, especially when it's, like, all up close in her face. That was an 80s thing. Uh, David Bowie had some really bad teeth, too, but maybe that's because oh. he was he was British, right?
0: Yeah, I love his teeth. Okay.
1: Um, the soundtrack kind of blows, except for Dance Magic Dance. Like, the Fire Demon guy song, oh. that sucked so bad. None of the other songs are really that memorable.
0: Oh, as the World Falls Down. That's the ballroom faves, one. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's stuck in my head right now. That that gets the silver medal, but there's no bronze medal. No. Um, this movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. We already talked about that. Half of the characters in this movie were just annoying. Like I wished that the scenes with them would just end or that they would die or something.
0: Right. Because I was Didymus. just like,
1: oh, Sergitimus was so annoying. Fuck up. Yeah. Um, the coolest part of the whole movie was the battle in the goblin city. I thought that was yeah, it was awesome in every way. Um, the set design, the goblins were I love their armor and their like like machine guns and cannons that they had mm-hmm. and everything like that.
0: Can I just interject also that I really love when they were like obviously rolling footage backwards? Like when you see some of the the rocks not rolling forward but rolling back, it was mm-hmm. like they were obviously just like running footage in reverse.
1: Yes. <laughs> um the ending sucked and it didn't make any sense. No. Um the Orange guys were so annoying and their song was fucking terrible. And it's always funny because um, Mallory and I used to date this chick and I always was like, Oh gosh, she reminds me of something. And then I realized she reminded me of one of those like firebirds.
0: Yeah. With a pointy face.
1: Yeah. And like eyeballs rolling around and shit. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. yep. So much attention to detail and work was put into everything but the script and the plot points in fact, if someone asked me right now how the movie ended, I wouldn't even be able to explain it in words. I have no idea it was so convoluted and I literally just finished watching this movie a half an hour ago yeah, agreed. I agree something like things happen and then she ends up back in her bedroom whatever right who it doesn't really matter um the entire movie was like David Bowie's weird perverted fever dream like yeah <laughs> That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. It was like, yeah, he was like dying of a of a fever and he was under too many blankets. <laughs> <laughs> it was like David Bowie passed out in a sauna while he was masturbating and that was the dream he had and it was after he went on a cocaine bender. Well, the end. <laughs> well. <laughs> you know, remember that David Carradine guy, the the kung fu guy? He like died Doing auto erotic asphyxiation?
0: No. Yeah. I don't, I don't All really right,
1: know. All right. So, who yeah. Is, so but... imagine, if you will, David Bowie whacking off in a hot tub after doing like 10 pounds of cocaine. And he's, yeah. So he's whacking it in there, you know, and he just like starts dying because of heat exhaustion. May
0: he rest in peace.
1: Oh, yeah. Shit. Sorry. No disrespect. <laughs> anyway, but this is this imaginary scenario with which this movie,
0: uh huh.
1: Yeah. Synopsis took place. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then there's like, This, he's like, this worm, and he's like, and then there was this, like, giant furry monster man who was kind of special and, like, oh, God.
0: Okay, stop it. Quit it. I can't handle it.
1: And this really hot, like, underage girl. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll be quiet. Well, it's (laughs) Jonah's bullet points, not Mallory's bullet points.
0: Well, that's the end of your bullet points, so. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The end. The end. Uh yeah. It was really cool to see this movie on the big screen as it is with any of these like childhood movies like getting to see Labyrinth on the big screen at the Alamo Draft House. Like it just it's it's amazing. It's amazing and I highly recommend it to anybody. Do we want to give this movie a score? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so, are we putting nostalgia into the factor or are we just like looking at this movie and giving it a score let's just
1: look at it and give it a score because we know nostalgia wise it's a 10 out of 10
0: right 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 i mean if i had to be like critical i would give it a four and i'd rate it that high just for like the artistry of the puppets and like how just much of a fucking feat that was but the storyline like I still don't when the fuck did it when did the when did the motivation change from I've taken your baby brother and you need to come get him back to then like in the end he's like I'll be your slave I've yeah, yeah like when the fuck did that change I no, don't... yeah
1: i mean none of it made sense i would actually no. give it a higher score because the puppetry and artistry was so fantastic mm. like all that kind of stuff was okay. really well done especially mm. for the 80s So i'd give it a I'd give it like a 6.5
0: oh god okay so i'm being but, a little critical and shitty when really this is like one of my most nostalgic movies
1: but the thing is is what the movie is basically just like it's like oh Jennifer Connelly is in this little part of the labyrinth, and then there's these wacky annoying creatures that say things that don't make any sense, and then it's like okay, and then move on to the next little scene, and it's like a new set, and there's new wacky creatures that are just like there because of reasons and they (laughs) say weird nonsensical things, and like nothing makes sense. No. And it's just, you know what I mean? It was just like one little part after the next. Right. And, yeah.
0: Nothing is what it seems. Ooh.
1: But maybe like they could have made some things be what they seem, and some things make sense, yeah. So that it was, so, so that mm-hmm. the story made sense, <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, just just for the sake of the you know storyline making sense. I mean, it's it just was a tiny detail. Obviously,
1: inspired a lot by Alice in Wonderland, and they even had the Alice in Wonderland book in the beginning, like in the right. background, Diane yeah. Moment, um.
0: Right. So, and, like, Um, that's
1: what Alice in Wonderland essentially does, is that same kind of thing where it's like, oh, we're in this situation, and there's these wacky creatures, and blah, 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 and then that, you know, and then the next thing. But, like, Alice in Wonderland just maybe just did that a little bit better. Yeah. And then tied it all together better. Yeah. So.
0: Also, like, the whole opening pan of her bedroom once she's back home is one huge big Diane moment. Every single character is accounted for in her bedroom. Yeah. Which is super cool. I love that. And can I just say that my favorite Funko Pop figurines that I own are my Labyrinth ones. Ludo is one of the oversized ones, and he's so fucking beautiful. I love him. And then there's Sarah and the little worm are in a package together. And then there's Hoggle, and he's fucking ugly. And and then I've got two different Jareths. So I've got one in just, like, his normal outfit, and then I've got, like, white, sparkly, glittery one, and that one's, like, worth money.
1: Sarah and our little worm. Sarah likes David Bowie's big worm. Yeah. And baby says
0: dance magic dance magic dance dance magic, magic dance,
1: dance. dance i you do the best like poppy
0: dog tails that <laughs> oh yeah S- what is it uh you, like slime and snails and poppy dog tails <laughs> thunder <laughs> or lightning <laughs> yeah and baby <laughs>
1: the goblins were cool
0: yeah they're fucking sweet.
1: Well, hey, everyone out there in movie land. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Movie Lovers. It's good to be back here on season three. Yes. Uh, we're rolling.
0: Yes. And we will catch you on the flip side with whatever Mallory's next pick is. Ooh.
1: Ooh. <gasps>
0: for listening to Movie Lovers. If you like what you heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Your feedback goes a really long way to helping our little podcast that could be seen by the world. Also, don't forget to give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram too. You can find us by searching the handle Movie Lovers Pod on either platform. This is the part of the podcast where Jonah and I shamelessly promote our respective services that we provide in our careers.
1: I'm a session musician and composer for hire. I do commission pieces ranging from podcast jingles to keyboard and orchestral arrangements, video game soundtracks, etc. The sky is the limit. If you're looking for custom composition services, you can find me on my website at www.jonahweingarten.com. That's J O N A H W E I N G A R T E N.com.
0: Movie Lovers is a Mali creative production. I, Mally, am the owner of Mally Creative, a marketing and multimedia design agency. If you or anyone you know is in the market for social media strategy, design, or management services, or perhaps you need a new website designed or even print or digital graphic design services, please reach out to me at my website, www.mallycreative.com. Again, that's www.mallycreative.com. If you'd like to advertise on our podcast, please reach out to us on social media, on our website at www.movieloverspod.com, or by contacting Mally Creative.